0: I am Alon ben and this is episode two of On the Issues. My guest today is Ehud Elam, who is an expert on Israel's national strategy and military doctrine. He is a former private contractor for the Israeli Ministry of Defense, and recently published his second book entitled Israel Way of War, A Strategic and Operational Analysis between 1948 and 2014. Today, we'll be discussing Israel's continued settlement expansion and the long-term implication of the settlement enterprise for Israel's national security. So, welcome to the show, and thank you Ehud for taking the time to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you, it's my pleasure. So, you know, at this time, you know, as we, Every morning we hear some more settlements, settlements are being built. There's a serious controversy yes, about the expansion of the settlements. And it is not only taking place now, but it's been it's a continuing process going back a number of decades now. Of course. The way I want to discuss with you today is that what are the security implications? You know, from my perspective, settlements are not an asset from a security perspective and may well be a liability so what what what's your take on this you know as far as uh, how you see that of course it's an ongoing issue in the israeli
1: society what to do with the west bank and especially with their settlements Uh, so far as long as there is no third intifada another uprising it seems that most of the israeli public can just kind of ignore it because if there is no problem a major one then we don't have to take care of it. And in that sense, they don't think too much about what's going on in the settlements, whether they are expanding or not. So they are kind of, because they have other issues.
0: But what is, it, what is it going to be absolutely necessary for somebody, for some group, from the academic community, think tanks to bring to the Israeli attention the fact that the continuation of the settlement is creating, in many different ways, irreversible conditions on the ground, which is going to impede in a very dramatic way, not only Israel national security in the future, but also the prospect for making peace, which is going to be extraordinarily difficult given the fact that Israel is not going to be able to evacuate tens of thousands from hundreds of thousands of settlers. So this is the problem, the Israelis seem to be rather complacent about it, and I, from my perspective I think it's very worrying development. So. Where do we go from here? This is the problem. This is the problem
1: and the Israelis, they just want to ignore it because they know there is an issue they have to deal with, but uh, you know, Israel has a lot on on its plate, what to do with other issues, not only security ones. So the Israeli public, as they say we take one issue at a time and if it's not urgent for them okay they think maybe in the future or they will we might lose the majority but meanwhile it's okay and also some of them would say maybe we are willing to do something with the palestinians and maybe even take out some of the settlements but we don't really think that right now it's the time for that, consider the turmoil in the Middle East, or because of Abu Mazen they don't trust him, or because Abu Mazen might be replaced, yeah, so but, the, knows? but
0: then again, you know, look at the Israeli, you yes. are an expert on Israeli military uh, national security. Look at this: what's happening within the Israeli um, forces, yes. military forces. In the last 15 years, the high price in the military Grew from two and a half percent religiously oriented Jews yes. to nearly forty percent today, and probably you remember even when the withdrawal from Gaza, there were sixty soldiers who actually refused to take part in the evacuation process. Now, can you imagine now forty percent of the Israeli commanders are in the military? And suppose there is an order tomorrow: let's evacuate a hundred thousand settlers or. In however incremental prices are going to be. Yes. And they're going to, re- I mean, there is absolute real potential for them to refuse to partake in this, uh, what they would consider totally unacceptable. Uh, yes. what, what's going to be? I uh, mean, this is a real possibility.
1: Uh, yes, they said that. Uh, when in the junior ranks in the military that uh, those who are religious when they after that if they stay in the military when they become brigade commanders then division yeah. commanders, they kind of become part of the establishment but
0: they are already they are already brigade commanders and they, uh, they are already yes yeah, some of them are yeah. and some of them will become yeah. eventually
1: they um, become uh, generals and all that okay. if there will be some kind of uh, withdrawal from the West Bank they will do what probably they did in Gaza will they send the police officers inside to actually do the evacuation. But, uh, but
0: think of the scale. This is the problem Of course. You know, we are not scale, talking would, about... We are talking, first of all, from Gaza, have 9,000. So you can send two or three, four or five hundred policemen if that... Even that is not necessary. When you're talking about scores of settlement, if there's, there's a decision to evacuate the numbers of settlement, you're no longer talking about two three hundred policemen that can go there and evacuate that kind of number. I, I think this is a potential for an u- uprising from within the settlement community. And then you have also the other factor. You have a tremendous political support, successive Israeli government. Of course, be that from the center, left of center, right of center, all of them continue to support the settlement enterprise. And now, current Israeli government, led by Netanyahu, they are basically hostage to the settlement movement. So, you know, this is something, this is... Uh, it, I, I think and if it was dangerous uh, two, five, ten years ago, now it's extraordinarily dangerous, as far as I am concerned, when it comes to Israeli national security.
1: Yes, the, the Israelis are aware there is an issue, mostly not be necessarily because of the settlements themselves but mostly because of the Palestinians they don't know what they are going to do with them they know that the settlements are part of the overall solution if you can reach it but they just don't want to kind of deal with it because they know all the political implications the military problems and all that there could be kind of a rift uh, inside the military between different uh, uh, officers if they some of them oppose and other agree to do something about to uh, evacuate the settlement but the more general issue is that basically the Israeli public uh, they are kind of uh, kind of accepting that the settlements are kind of becoming more and more part of the political consensus in a way that it wasn't like that in the past because the Israeli public is slowly moving more and more to the right and the left look like uh, almost sometimes obsolete so there is also hope for some kind of an agreement but many of the Israelis see that as the reality
0: well listen the point here is that you know, Israelis seem to be rather oblivious from my perspective about the connection between the political position taken vis-a-vis the settlement, the concern over national security, and how that is going to impact on the Israeli Palestinian peace process. You know what's terrifying me, I heard of, of all of this? Okay. Suppose and it's probably is a question of time, ISIS will be defeated. Yes ideologically will not be defeated, but physically they will be be defeated. Hezbollah will go back pretty much to Lebanon, regroup, retrain, and be prepared. And I think in those terms, they possess today over 100, nearly 150,000 rockets. Tens of thousands of them are medium range, they can reach about any part of Israel. That's one aspect. Then you have Hamas in Gaza with also clearly that some say about ten to 15,000 rockets as well. Just imagine for a moment that Hezbollah decide now they are ready to to take on Israel. Is it entirely possible that Hamas could join the the, the fight also by raining on Israel thousands of missiles? You know, potentially I am told Hezbollah can actually fire nearly 1,500 missiles a day. Exactly. Add to that the missiles that uh, the rockets that Hamas could be firing, and then you have two fronts now. And if there is no an agreement, any kind of agreement with the Israel- Palestinians in the West Bank, there is also likelihood that the Palestinians in the West Bank will rise. They do not have necessarily to 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 go to Israel proper and kill and and, uh, and terrorize the Israeli community, but they can go and, and to against the settlers. So here you're going to have a potential scenario that Israel will be facing three fronts at the same time, a kind of war that is certainly not conventional, and what are you going to do? And I, I think with this way, the short-sightedness of the Israelis today, both the political echelon as well as the military echelon, are they thinking in those terms? How are we going to go about it?
1: They are aware of this uh, problem, but Israel, it's kind of got used to that. In the past, there was a possibility of an Arab coalition fighting against Egypt, Syria and Jordan at the same time. So the war on free France against free uh, states, one of the major Arab states that had t- hundreds of thousands of men. They were much more powerful than Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Palestinians combined. So for the Israelis, the situation kind of improved, although it could be still, as you mentioned, a worst case scenario fighting in free France. The Israelis just tend to think about like next week is like in the near, uh, the far future because they have so many issues meanwhile to take care of and the government is very fragile sometimes because it's all based on coalitions and every day could some crisis economic or social or political can come out of nowhere. So the Israelis just tend to ignore it. And this is a problem by itself that they ignore it. They, they ignore this problem. They know that in the future they will, they cannot just live with the uh, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of Palestinians in the West Bank, but they do.
0: We'll return to our conversation with Ehud in a moment. As a reminder, you can sign up for my mailing list on my website alonbenmeer.com, follow me on Twitter at alonbenmeer, or download my articles to listen on the go from my SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com alonbenmeer. But again, you know, this is, this is the, the second issue that, you know, the other issue that I think there is a um, lack of serious discussion in Israel itself, and that is absent peace with the Palestinians today, and absent the prospect of actually waging conventional war, because Israel not today does not have a single Arab state that is willing, able, or want to fight Israel in a convention because they have, as a matter of fact, the opposite is true. They are reaching out to Israel because they have a different kind of enemy. They consider Iran is the real enemy, not Israel. So they are, I think, based on what I see and read and talk to people, they want actually to make peace with the state of Israel. And the only problem that they have is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So the nature of warfare is changed in a very dramatic way. Today, Israel can no longer merely continue with the same. And I think the chief of staff of the Israeli military, of course, recognized that. When he came, when he assumed his office, he already made that decision. We need to change the nature of of war. We need to develop different kind of um, defense and offensive forces in order to deal now with different, with, with missiles, with rockets, not with marching army with tanks and artillery. That is the nature of the future war is going to be. And I'm sure the Israelis thinking about that Probably, I'm sure, preparing for that eventuality. But even under the best of circumstances, raining more than 1,500, 1,600 rockets a day, that's going to create a massive havoc in Israel, not just from a security perspective, a potential casualty, but it's going to disrupt the economy for weeks, months perhaps to come. That's, that's, that's akin to a real disaster.
1: Of course of course not only this week there is a major exercise by the israeli brigade better brigade preparing for a possible fight in another front in a, in the golan heights in case there will be an attack by there of course the war with the hezbollah is the major threat israel faces right now and the israeli military has been preparing for that conducting drills next week there is a major exercise all over israel to prepare the country to a massive a rocket and missile attack from neighboring states, all over the place. So they are prepared for that, and this is why, in a way, another reason why they don't focus on the Palestinians, because say we have to train against the Hamas, focus also against Hamas in a way, but mostly against the Hezbollah.
0: But then, but this is very, very short-sighted, because what happened now? You go back to this settlement issues. The settlement are not just sitting by themselves; they too need protection. My understanding, please correct me if you think I'm wrong. I understand there are 10,000 Israeli soldiers, reserves and, and, and regular, who are actually in the West Bank, and majority of them need to protect, to protect the settlers, which means Israel military resources are now also being spent, 10, 15, 20% of it, just to protect the settlers. So when you have two other fronts, like Gaza, and you have the Hezbollah in the North, and then potentially even the West Bank itself, and here you have that kind of manpower being wasted and that kind of resources being invested in an enterprise that there is no way you can sustain. You cannot sustain it indefinitely, given these other threats.
1: Um, yes, but, you know, yes, it's like yes and no, because they, in a way for the long haul, it will cost Israel uh, every price economically and all that. But the Israelis has been... Uh, kind of gotten used to that, because until uh, 2011, the Syrian military was the main threat to Israel. And they have been preparing for that uh, war for decades, which never happened. So in the same time, they also had to deploy forces in the West Bank, like in the First and the Second Intifada. Now, every soldier that has to be uh, stationed in the West Bank, doing day-to-day security, protecting the settlements, the, the roads and all that, it's not, as a soldier who's not preparing to fight his and Hamas. So there is always a dilemma what to do. The biggest brigade, uh, if I believe in the Israeli military, the regular one, is the Kfir. Kfir is a, a brigade that uh, our mission is almost entirely to basically run day-to-day security in the West Bank. So this brigade could be sent to other uh, fronts, but right now it's busy in the West Bank. And they are busy
0: and also they are not necessarily trained to deal with the different kind of war that Hezbollah could be waging. And so here you have a double... The, Restoring. The sometimes let, let. they do
1: conduct exercise in other fronts, but they are mostly focused on the yeah, West Bank. Yeah, they're
0: mostly the focused on the West Bank, and that is, you know, again, you are taking major source of, of, of power, of, of military source, and actually wasting it in the, in the West Bank. Yeah, they and, call it investing, but well, it's like yeah, the baseline, I, I think I Yeah, I think it's a, it's a horrifying waste. On top of it, the situation is not improving. That is, the longer Israel continue to expand settlement, to expand settlement, legalizing ones that have not been, so to speak, legal, and potentially building new settlements altogether. So now you have, think in those terms, and you know it. You have nearly 650,000 settlers, about 250 or so is Jerusalem, and about 400 is some in the West Bank itself scattered in about 120 settlements. Yes. Think in those terms. If this trend continues as the current government is trying is continued to do, I think the objective of having one million Israelis living in the West Bank. Yes. And you know what Netanyahu has just said recently? Yes. It is absurd to think that the Palestinian state should be should have absolutely no Jews which means he's already talking about the fact that many of these settlers, probably the vast majority, are going to have to stay in the West Bank. And even if there's going to be a Palestinian state, neither remember, this is going to be a Palestinian state with, with a million Jews or, or 800,000 Jews, just like Israel has 1.7 million Palestinians. Now, yeah, I mean, uh, probably, from how I see it, most likely, some settlements will remain in the West Bank. Take, for example, uh, um, Ariel. Yes,
1: of course. How are you going
0: to evacuate Ariel? Possible. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be impossible? They're going to have to keep, probably leave some settlements under some kind of an arrangement, perhaps providing them um, a permanent residency in the West Bank and remain citizen of the State of Israel. And we also can have vice versa. Some Palestinians have permanent. Residency in Israel, but can vote and be elected in the West Bank. You can work out some political arrangements as far as that goes. But to reverse the settlement movement has become, in my view, already impossible.
1: Probably they kind of course a point of no return, probably. probably and with a, that come.
0: Never say never about publicly. I think it's most likely at this point, and with that come, question of security. How are you going to make sure that these Jews can remain secure? What kind of forces are you going to need along the Jordan Valley? Of course. And, and what are you going to do with extremist Palestinians who will probably never will never give up Hamas and others? I think eventually they, come, they will come to term, when it takes 5 years, 10 years, 15 years. But what I see, what I foresee now for the next 5 to 10 years it's a it's a horrifying um, uh, prospect that can evolve, and the Israelis remain almost oblivious to, to this to this very ominous danger.
1: It's kind of a grim reality, but for the Israelis, they already live in a tough uh, place, so for them, it's like. Another problem they have to deal with, they don't see it necessarily as kind of a doomsday scenario. They say, okay, we eventually might get some kind of an agreement with Palestinians, some kind of an understanding, and who knows what will be with Jordan, so maybe that will be also part of the overall
0: solutions. So they are kind of ignoring. But but, but dismiss it. You know, I think many Israelis continue to believe they can manage the conflict. In almost indefinitely, they think we, we manage it for fifty years. Yes, yes. The occupation. We can manage it for another fifty years. You
1: can go back, like from uh, the uh, yeah. the before the state was established. Yeah. Also, it's like one hundred years conflict. Yeah. Well, we can end out. We also have to live on our yeah. sword, Then the best we can hope for is a status quo that is fragile, problematic.
0: But this is what you get. Yeah, but the, you know, there is the other the yeah. other element. Now, the, the Middle East in turmoil, you know it, I know it just about anyone who is following the news would know that. Yeah. That turmoil yeah. offered, in my view, an opening. On the one hand, is an opening for Israel to exploit that situation, reach out to the Arab world, who is willing now to sit down and negotiate in the Israel? Israeli-Palestinian agreement in the context of the, of the comprehensive peace with all of the Arab states. On the other hand, that turmoil, with or without Arab opposition to, any, uh, to, to, to Israel itself, they can either su- support that you know, against Israel or actually stay away from it. But that danger in, in the turmoil in the region is a danger that Israel still has to face, be that the remnant of ISIS, who knows what Iran eventually is going to do. So when you look at it from that perspective, f- keep focusing on the settlement, as if the settlement is going to provide Israel the ultimate security, but that is, even if it does, it's only on one front.
1: Yes, the settlements are more like an ideological, political issue, where they just let it kind of grow and stay, of course, because they kind of think that since there is a turmoil in the entire Middle East, most of the Middle East, then people don't focus on that. In a way, the thermal is an opportunity for Israel to kind of continue the status quo in the West Bank because there are more other other problems. And the thermal is is an opportunity in a way that uh, for Israel that can do whatever, not whatever, almost whatever it wants sometimes, because who knows what tomorrow will be with Arab states, with Syria, of course, is gone, Jordan, who knows, Iraq is struggling, even Egypt. There are some say that it might end up, because of economic reasons, a failed state. So right now, to make for many Israelis an agreement with the state that tomorrow might not exist, meaning the Arab states, it's a risk. So maybe it's better to wait. Kind of wait.
0: It's all about waiting, hopefully. Yeah, but 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 do you really believe that uh, wait and see is uh, is the... Is the most viable option at this point? Uh,
1: not viable. I mean, it's okay. like some it's like what you say it's what you have. It's like I understand the Israelis don't want to take a risk right now because for them, starting peace negotiations, it's kind of lead again to a stalemate, they don't trust the Palestinian leadership, they don't trust the Palestinian in general. So they know that they have to do something, but it's kind of living in denial, many people do. So it's kind of the this is the situation. And when you
0: say you know they don't wanna take a risk, I think the the risk of waiting and doing very little, if anything, about it, is far greater than actually taking an immediate risk. If there is such a risk, and begins some kind of process to of uh, peace negotiation, and that's not, not, not happening. Indeed. And so, uh, you know, you've been, you've been a contractor for the military defense forces, and suppose Netanyahu call you tomorrow on the phone and say, Ehud, what would you do? You know, I'd like your advice. You know the re- situation in the middle is from a security perspective. What would you do? In regard to I, the Palestinians? I, I, I advance all kind of uh, ideas. But what would you do, really? Because I'd love to hear what you have to say about that.
1: Well, theoretically, if like if you approach me, I can I can say that recommending personally to expand the security cooperation between the Israeli and the Palestinian security forces, because this could be a base... But don't.
0: You, but that's, that means they, need, they will be willing to do that. At what expense... Would simply expand it and say, "Wait and see what's going to happen." Why would they want to do that?
1: Uh, for their own interest. Uh, they sometimes the Palestinians say that they are going to stop the this cooperation, but they know if they stop, they it will be against their own. Uh, they can risk their own survival. So okay, they expand
0: the cooperation from a yeah. security perspective with the What else can? Another you, issue. What else the advice?
1: In a way, it's like what the Israelis sometimes call the economic peace. Like a few days ago, there was an agreement signed between uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians uh, about uh, uh, organizing the payments to the Israeli electrical company and all that because it has been an ongoing issue. So uh, right now, I don't think there is much of a chance to convince both sides to go to an overall agreement. But maybe they can gradually build some kind of mutual trust in other areas like economic security so when they are ready to actually go to the negotiation table to talk about the main issues there will be some trust because we say okay we agreed about electricity about the economy and some aspects and in the meantime
0: though the settlements are there and expanding yes that's the concern I have that is you can cooperate on a number of levels but the settlements remain the, the, the thorn that is going to constantly remind everyone what we're going to do. Yes. And there is no... that I don't I didn't hear any solution coming from Israel. I'm certainly not... I, I feel at a loss sometimes. The only thing we are saying, you know, you've got to sit down and begin some kind of process in before it's too late. I think if there is no... some kind of process between the two sides, beginning to reconcile with one another. And think in longer term, what would be the implication of building more and more settlements, and more and more Israelis gonna be living there would be some some of them already third generation living in it. Many of them go to the military and come back and live back, back into their settlements. Of course. That's going to create, I think, an unattainable situation in, in five ten years to come. It might, it might, yeah. no, It might. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ehud, for, I think it was a wonderful conversation with you. Thank you for And I look forward to having another one sometime too, soon.
1: Whenever you want.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page. And stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.